0: This is the Kol Hadash Podcast. Originally recorded in 2017, Rabbi Shalom presents The Culture of Blessing. What's the first thing you say in the morning when you get up? Is it inspirational? Is it a complaint? Is it something to your spouse or partner? In a traditional Jewish home, you would be instructed that there is a particular blessing to recite every morning, first thing in the morning. I offer thanks before you, living and eternal King, for you have mercifully restored my soul within me. Your faithfulness is great. Translation, thank God I'm alive. Now, some years ago, I created a similar blessing for your first coffee of the morning. The Hebrew is Mode ani kafe Matok Vecham Shezarta binishmati, rabah kaffinetecha, which means I offer thanks before you, coffee, sweet and warm, for you have mercifully restored my soul within me. Great is your caffeine. Now, my coffee blessing is mostly a joke. I actually don't drink coffee myself. (laughs) We know that coffee doesn't hear us. Coffee can't reward or punish us if we praise or fail to praise it. And yet for those who really need it, when they have that first cup of coffee, they feel a deep sense of gratitude. Perhaps to the person or to the machine that made it. Who knew that a Keurig, which is environmentally terrible, would become a pawn in political culture wars so that liberals would buy them on purpose and conservatives would smash them. Well, sometimes there's simply that warm feeling of gratitude to be alive, to be safe and warm, to be able to start your day. Remember that traditional blessing says you restore my soul. It's another way of saying I'm alive. We had a reading in the service that spoke about this. Grateful I am as I awake each morning, drawing upward sleep, breaking about my head as I fill my lungs with wakefulness. Grateful I am alive. Why this is so puzzles me, being in sound health, and yet he is left only with gratitude, gifted to each moment and especially each flower. For humanistic Jews, this poem has positive meaning, but the traditional morning blessing doesn't work for us. It leaves us cold. Why is that? And what human need is being addressed by this traditional culture of blessing that we humanists still feel and can still feel moved by? There's a basic principle here. We don't say our words of blessing so that coffee hears it. And many traditional people don't say words of blessing so that a God hears it. We say them for ourselves. If you look at the blessings in our service, the blessings on the candles, the blessings on wine. Baruch Haor, blessed is the light, the inspiration that inspires us to do this. Blessed are the people, Habore prihagaf, and the people who bring forth the fruit of the vine. It's a little bit of what Buddhists call mindfulness, being aware of what you're doing, your experiences and your connections. You don't just eat, you think about eating and then you eat slowly and you taste each piece and you feel each chew and you swallow deliberately. I tried that once visiting a Buddhist uh, meditation center with one raisin. You take one raisin and put it in your mouth and you feel the texture Then you slowly bite down and the juice spurts out and you swallow that down and gradually chew it until it breaks down in your mouth and finally swallow. You never knew that a minute and a half eating one raisin could have so much positive sensation to it. And we take a handful and just cram them in and swallow them and don't even think about it. That's part of that mindfulness that can be reminded for us or brought to our minds through a culture of blessing. Now, again, in traditional Jewish life, there was a blessing for just about everything. There's a basic formula, Baruch Atah Adonai, Blessed are you, our Lord, or, or the name of God, Melech HaOlam, King of the Universe, and then you fill in the blank. If it's a commandment you're supposed to fulfill, like lighting Shabbat candles, lighting Hanukkah candles, you also add Asher Kedushanah B'mitzvotav, who sanctified us with commandments and commanded us to light candles or eat so-and-so. Sometimes you get long paragraphs of blessings, and then have a short one-sentence closer that summarizes it. And sometimes there's just a one-line blessing. When someone dies, you're supposed to say, Baruch Dayan Ha'emet, blessed is the true judge. The assumption that if they died, it was part of the cosmic plan. I can give you some examples of subject matter for blessings from a Jewish informational source book. There are blessings for tastes, different kinds of foods, a blessing for uh, smelling fragrant spices, upon smelling the fragrance of plants and herbs and shrubs and trees, upon smelling fragrant fruit or fragrant oils, upon seeing a rainbow, upon seeing trees blossoming for the first time in the year, upon seeing the ocean, upon seeing lightning or shooting stars, upon seeing a person distinguished in Torah knowledge, or another blessing for seeing someone distinguished in secular knowledge, upon seeing a head of state, upon hearing thunder, and upon hearing good news, as well as upon hearing bad news. Now, some of these might be good for mindfulness opportunities, seeing the first tree flowering in the spring, seeing a rainbow, hearing good news. But of course, sometimes rabbinic legalism and formalism go a little bit too far. If you were raised in a traditional Jewish home, or you've watched very carefully during the film Fiddler on the Roof, which we'll we'll be talking about on Sunday... There's a ritual that's performed when candles that are are lit, that's part of this rabbinic legalism. Traditionally, you would say a blessing first and then do the action. You bless the wine, then you drink. You bless the bread, then you eat. But when you light Shabbat candles, you light the candles first and then you say the blessing. Well, this was a dilemma for the rabbis because you're supposed to say the blessing first. However, lighting these candles defines the beginning of Shabbat in your home. And if you're lighting nerot shal Shabbat Shabbat candles and it isn't Shabbat yet, how can you do that? So the solution was that you would light the candles and then you would cover your eyes and recite the blessing. And then voila, it's like they're lit. It's solving this legalistic dilemma. And it goes on beyond that. Um, I want to read to you a short passage from a memoir from someone who was raised Orthodox about his experience in elementary school learning blessings the blessing bee worked the same way as a spelling bee there are six basic blessings on food hamotzi the blessing for bread mizonot the blessing for wheat Hagafen, the blessing for wine or grape juice haetz the blessing for things that grow from trees Adama the things that grow from the earth and shehakol the blessing for everything else bagel hamotzi oatmeal mizonot gefilte fish Sheh the blessing for everything else. But that was the easy part. Things became much more complicated when you started combining foods. Some foods are superior to other foods. And in combination with subordinate foods, the superior food gets the blessing. To make matters worse, some blessings are superior to other blessings. And you had to know which blessing to recite first. This is where they separated the men from the (laughs) boys. Spaghetti and meatballs. Mizonot, the wheat blessing, followed by Shehakol, the everything else blessing on the meat. Cereal with milk? Shehakol for the milk, followed by Mizonot for the wheat and the cereal. Twix, the chocolate candy with the cookie crunch? Trick question. Twix isn't kosher. (laughs) Of course, for a kosher candy bar with fruits, nuts, or other fillings, the blessing depends upon why you ate it. If you ate it specifically because you like the filling, you must recite the appropriate blessing for the filling. However, if you're eating the candy as much for the chocolate as you are for the filling, you must first say a Shehakol on the chocolate, followed by the blessing on the filling. Theologically speaking, candy wasn't worth it. (laughs) (laughs) And so he comes back to school for the blessing bee. There's a young man named Avrumi Grunenbaum whose father died recently, and everyone offers their condolences to Avrumi Grunenbaum before the blessing bee begins. We lined up at the back of the classroom. Nervously pulling on our titsis, our fringes, and twirling our payas, the hair curls. The rules were simple. Name the correct blessing and remain standing for the next round. Name the wrong blessing and you take your seat. Last year's winner, Yuskil Zalman Yehuda Schneck, stood behind me. He leaned calmly against the wall, nonchalantly picking his nose. The kid was ice. (laughs) Auslander, Shalom, called out Rabbi Kahn. I stepped forward. Apple, he shouted out. Apple, I called out. Haetz, correct, said Rabbi Kahn. The blessing bees began easily. Dov Becker got tuna, Shehakol, the everything else blessing. Ariel Mashinsky got matzah, Hamosi, the bread blessing. And Yisrael Tuchman got stuck with kugel, which he thought was haadamah food from the earth, but was really mezonot, the blessing on wheat. Three other kids got taken out by oatmeal. Borscht with sour cream claimed two others. And by the end of the first round, almost a third of the students were back in their seats. Round two Shalom Auslander, called the Rabbi Khan. I stepped forward. Mushroom barley soup, he shouted. Mushroom barley soup. Damn, I knew I should have studied the chapter on soups more. I'd wasted half a week on the entrees. Was it Ha'adamah on the mushrooms, which came from the earth, or Mezonot on the barley? Maybe it was Shehakol on the liquid. He didn't say anything about croutons. What if there were croutons? Mushroom barley soup, I called out, Mezonot. Rabbi Kahn glared at me and tugged his beard. And uh, Shehachol, I added? He smacked his desk, signaling I was correct. His expression conveyed a sense of triumph, as if his sneering and unspoken threats alone had been responsible for my success. Apple strudel took out Dove Becker, Yoel Levine, and Morghe Pomerantz. My friend Morty Greenbaum got stuck with cheesecake, and I could tell by the expression on his face he had no idea. He wisely offered two answers, one for thin crust and one for thick crust, and somehow managed to stay alive. It was hard to believe this was only round two. Greenbaum of Rumi, shouted by Kahn. Bagel, shouted Rabbi Kahn. Bagel? I looked at Mahdi in disbelief. Was he kidding? Bagel? Bagel, Ephraim called out. Hamotzi. This was BS. <laughs> Correct, very good. Ephraim uh, and three others all got out on cholent with barley and large pieces of meat, while chopped liver on challah and a slice of lettuce and a bit of olive took out four more. And then it was just three. Yuskiel Zaman, Yehuda Schneck, Ephraim and me. Round three began. Auslander, called out Rabbi Khan. I stepped forward. Ice cream in a cone, he said. Ice cream in a cone. I knew ice cream, but why would he add the cone? Was the blessing different if it was in a cone? What was the cone made from anyway? Was it cake? Was it wafer? Ice cream in a cone, Rabbi Khan shouted. Um, is that a sugar cone or a regular cone? A sugar cone, he shouted. A sugar cone, of course a sugar cone. Is the ice cream subordinate to the cone? Is the cone subordinate to the ice cream? Most of the calories came from the ice cream. Was it calorie related? Were there sprinkles involved? (laughs) Ice cream in a cone, I called out, no blessing. Everyone in the classroom turned to face me. No blessing, said Rabbi Kahn. Why no blessing? Because, I explained, uh, twirling my fringes, because the room smells like duty. (laughs) There was a long silence. Suddenly the students started giggling and the rabbi grabbed him by the arm and pulled him out in the hallway. It may have been a loophole, but technically speaking, I was correct. Rabbi Khan himself had told us that our sages tell us, that the Torah tells us, that there are three situations in, one in which one is absolutely prohibited from reciting a blessing. One, while facing a male over the age of nine years old whose genitals are showing. Two, while facing a female over the age of three years old whose genitals are showing. And three, in the presence of feces. <laughs> Frankly, given the two other options, I think I chose the least offensive answer. In the end, he's thrown out. Two minutes later, Yuskiel Zaman Yehuda Schneck fell victim to matzo with maple syrup, and the last man standing was Avrumi Grunenbaum. Apples, called out Rabbi Khan. Apples, Avrimi answered. "Hi, mazel tov, called out Rabbi Khan. Total BS. <laughs> That's the blessing bee. But that's an example of how the legalism takes over. It's, this is not an experience of mindfulness as they're going through. The, this is a mechanical process of finding the exact right blessing for the exact right circumstance. And some of the circumstances for which the rabbis prescribe blessings we might find not blessing worthy. And here's one in our uh, Jewish resource book. Uh, there we go. This is the blessing for after leaving the bathroom. Blessed are you, our God, king of the universe, who has formed people in wisdom and created in them many orifices and hollow tubes. It is well known that if one of them be obstructed or broken, it would be impossible to stay alive. Blessed are you, healer of all flesh, who does wondrous things. That's the blessing on leaving the bathroom. Now, again, if you're living in a world where you believe that God does everything and is involved in everything and is responsible for everything, then maybe that's a meaningful practice for you. And I know people who recite this. But for us, we find that that's a few steps too far for where we are. This legalism, the need to prescribe everything, to say exactly what you say first thing in the morning and exactly what you say when you leave the bathroom, that's foreign to us. And that's aside from any questions about the content of the blessings. For example, the traditional blessing formula is Baruch Atah, blessed are you, but it's the male form of you. And many Jewish feminists have wondered, why does it say you male and Melech, a male term of king? Could you rewrite it to say Baruch blessed are you in the feminine form? After all, if gender is beyond divinity, then either one is equally inappropriate. So why not change them to be feminine once in a while? Why does it always have to be male? They say, Baruch Adonai. That's the substitute for the name of a particular God, of a particular people. But for people who aren't so sure, they see that being, acting in the world. Maybe that's not what brings them to mindfulness. The whole metaphor of the king is challenging. A lot of translations now don't use the word king. They use the word sovereign. Why is sovereign better than king? Well, it's not gendered and it's less authoritarian. After all, you could make a dictator, right? Blessed are you dictator of the universe, but nobody would want to say that. That wouldn't provide the inspiration. So again, king is a challenge too. The whole concept of commandments, as if we are commanded to do things, when many of us don't follow most of those commandments. 80% of American Jews don't light Shabbat candles, don't follow kosher laws. So saying you're commanded to do something, when you're choosing to ignore the vast majority of commandments, raises a question. And then in general, there's the attitude of blessing. The word baruch, blessed, is from the same root as the word berech, which means knee. It's almost related. You have the image of kneeling. And in many traditional blessings, when you're reading the Amidah, for example, the standing prayer, when you get to the end of each of those blessings with the final baruch atana, you bow and you move forward. like that. There's a literal bowing as part of the blessing recitation. The general attitude of blessings is somewhat obsequious. You say, please, please, please. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Praise, praise, praise. You're so wonderful. Now, lest you think that that's, I'm dismissing that, that works on people too. If you go to people and say, you're so wonderful. Could you please help me for this one thing? Thank you so much in advance. You're great. You're more likely to get results. So there's a human psychology at work in this blessing too. Here's an example of a feminist revising The blessing for the morning. Marsha Falk wrote a book called Sefer HaBrakot, The Book of Blessings. And her first blessing in there, a blessing upon awakening in the morning. The first thing one can say, the breath of my life will bless. The cells of my being sing in gratitude, reawakening. And the Hebrew ends, for all of these things, for being alive, I am grateful. Not ani. I'm not grateful before you. I am grateful in my own being, in my own self. Sometimes it works to rework a blessing. When we substitute baruch haor ba'olam, baruch haor ba'adam, blessed is light in the world and the light in people, it fits in the meter for singing a traditional blessing. And it works for the meaning as well. We, we are inspired by the light of inspiration in people and, and what we find in the world around us. Sometimes it's better to find a full replacement, I've tried in the past looking at a humanistic version of what's called the birkatamazon, the blessing on meals. And the challenge is it's not just a small substitution like you can do for Baruch or because there's large passages that say things like, I've never seen a righteous man go hungry, or we have never lacked and we will never lack forever and ever. I, I don't think that's the case. We just can't save all of it. In the end, a culture of blessings is more than traditional texts. It's thinking about the moments that are important. It's seeing the rainbow. It's your child's first smile when they see you. It's a blessing if a parent dies a relatively good death after a good life and without too much pain or suffering. It's a blessing for new discovery. It's a blessing for seeing old friends. In our service, very often we say, Zecher tzadik livracha." the memory of a good person is a blessing to us. It's the moment, it's the experience, it's the feeling. It's not just the words. And if the traditional words are a barrier, make it harder for you to appreciate the moment, then use new ones. Once upon a time, people wrote these blessings. They didn't come down from heaven. They were written by people. They were written by the Jewish people. And so as we are heirs to that past, we too have assumed the mantle of ownership. It is our culture to use and to adapt and to recreate as we need to to meet our emotional needs. And so if we want to appreciate the moment, sometimes new words do that as much as old. And so I'll conclude with a poem that was also in our service. It's called The Power of Accident. Someone laid the petals in the big dictionary again. We always do that, placing such things in heavy books, wishing to hold what we know will inevitably pass. But have you noticed how perfectly they were located, pressed there between metalwork and meter directly under metaphor? Surely that is what they are now. Their luminous bodies and lustrous flesh have gone where the summers go, and only the veins remain as testament to the sweet sap that ran with the solstice. But I will bet it was just chance that defined those petals so well. Chance can set things right. I mean, look at us, what we are, how we met in the deep waters between metalwork and meter, and then how we have come to cleave together, tighter than the weave woven of the shadows in the woods, thicker than the juices that run through all the golden veins of summer. You see that moment. You picture the book. You see the petal. You feel the connection. That's, for us, a culture of blessing. This was an archive episode from Kol Hadash. On behalf of Rabbi Shalom and Kol Hadash, I'm Ken Burke, and thanks for listening.